if we went by the principle that those affected by a problem should be in charge of determining the solution, then the majority of the world's peace negotiators, foreign ministers, and diplomats would be women. Gender. It influences our identity, the role we play in our society, and the way that we interact with each other. The crucial role of women in preventing conflict and building peace has been recognized. Yet over the last 30 years, 70% of peace processes did not include any women mediators or women signatories. So peace, much like war, remains entirely dominated by men. Welcome to Season 6 of the Peace Corner podcast, brought to you by CSPPS, You Know Why Peace Builders, and GPAC. A youth-driven podcast, the Peace Corner aims to demystify peace building by giving peace builders across the world the opportunity to share their stories. We showcase the ordinary and extraordinary nature of peace building with the belief that everyone can be a peace builder. We just need to make space. This season explores gender dynamics in peace building. So, who are the people making peace buildings more equal, inclusive, and relevant? How are these pioneers making gender equality the norm? Keep listening to find out. Hello and welcome to all our listeners tuning in to this episode of the Peace Corner podcast. Today we will be discussing the importance of intersectionality and the role of gender identities in peace building. I'm very excited to welcome our wonderful guest, Ambit Zaman. Anbit is a 26-year-old activist who started their voluntary service in advocating for LGBTQI plus human rights at the age of 16 in Bangladesh, working for the first ever LGBTQI plus magazine, Rupan. They have lived in Cologne, Germany since 2016 due to their personal security. Anbit is serving on the executive board of Aktionsbündnis gegen Homophobie e.V. since 2017, where they campaigned for marriage equality in Germany. Anbit is also an executive board member at the Cologne Pride, responsible for international affairs, arts, and culture. They're an active member of the Global Youth Queer Youth Network and Queer European Asylum Network. They're currently working at Rubicon EV as the state expert conceptualizing and providing qualification trainings to government structures on LGBTQI plus and migration in the German federal state of North Rhine-Westphalia. Anbit is also serving their second mandate in representing LGBTQI plus youth from the European and Central Asian regions to the Ilga World Youth Steering Committee. They are president and chair of the board of directors for the Global Center, an NGO that creates freedom through education for LGBTQI plus youth from globally, and was recently awarded the prestigious Diana Award in 2021 for their extensive work in LGBTQI plus rights for the past 10 years of their life. Thank you very much for speaking here today. To start the episode, I would like to ask you a little bit about your journey. How did you become involved in gender and peace building? And can you share one of the best moments of your career so far? Uh, thank you very much, Freya, for inviting me. Um, what a wonderful opportunity to speak uh, and uh, be a part of this podcast. Um, yeah, um, <clears throat> I think uh, 
you kind of talked about uh, my journey a little bit since I arrived in Germany or just previously uh, working in Bangladesh for LGBTI human rights. Um, how I started this journey really has to do with also uh, one of the most memorable moments, uh, I think, that served as, um, as a motivation, a very strong motivation uh, to, to change uh, world positively around me. So um, I, would go, I would go to this memory I have, you know, um, being in school, I think I was the most looked at child. Like, you know, I had all the attention from everyone because I was so different unapologetically. Um, and um, so I often made people curious and asked me questions, but also sometimes uh, have, have had faced bully. Um, and uh, there was one moment that I find to be one of the most memorable uh, moments of my life is we had we had uh, an event where um, an American um, um, tech company uh, CEO visited Bangladesh and came to our uh, school. And we were talking about information and communication technology implemented in education. I have a tendency of always speaking and expressing. So I put my name forward and, and I talked about um, how it could actually um, change and um, how it could benefit uh, the education system uh, in, in Bangladesh at that time. But also I talked about challenges uh, that we would face implementing it uh, and making it accessible um, for everyone and also easy to use for teachers even. So I was not very sure about, you know, after all of this complaining that I would be kind of recognized. So uh, they announced the you know the the speakers like the first second third and uh when they were like announcing so the first you know first position of the public speaker goes to Anbit Zaman how wonderfully you spoke so I went up the stage and um it's so loud I can I can hear people clapping uh I was just I think in 10th grade I I hear people clapping and um but half of the population in the school auditorium, like auditorium, were chanting and screaming, Hijra, 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 or half lady, half lady, half lady, or gay, 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 you know. So it was so loud. And people are clapping and chanting and calling me things that I didn't identify with publicly. So I think that was like really powerful moment for me that, that, you know, that made some of the teachers really embarrassed because probably they have felt that they failed, that a student is now publicly being bullied in front of trustees, teachers, managing directors and all of that. And, uh, and I then took my award um, and I took the mic and, I said, thank you very much for cheering for me. And I'm having goosebumps right now. And that was the moment I thought that, you know, I, 
cannot hide myself and probably I don't need to. It was a very powerful moment. And I think that's one of the most powerful moments uh, that I, I, I have in my life to go on with that I will end up speaking in public. I will be outspoken and I will talk about how I see the world and not necessarily it's always the same with everyone else. And, uh, and some people will chant <laughs> while clapping um, and some people will not. And, you know, I went back home that day with, you know, I don't know, I just felt very strange. Um, I went back home with that day, like kind of feeling uh, that, oh, now it's not an open secret. It's open <laughs> um, in school. And, um, and I think following that incident, I went to a community event for gender and sexual minority groups organized very secretively. Uh, it was a cultural event. And I went there for the first time being in a space together with so many other people like me from different age groups, from different cities, um, uh, professions um, coming together because they have one thing in common, which is that they are not accepted in their society the way they are. And being there felt so safe, felt so accepting. And at some point it didn't really matter anymore about like, what if this, what if really didn't matter? Like what if people find out that I am a homosexual person or um, I have um, my gender expressions for probably come across to another person differently. Um, and I really felt, you know, how would it be to have the same feeling if I get out of this event and from now on every day I feel the same. There I don't have to, I don't have to worry about these things. So I think one of the most important moment for my LGBTI movement was to realize the importance of being seen being visible and being acknowledged, even if it was through insults. But I think I could never expect a group of people screaming gay while I receive an award. And um, like, you know, talking about achievements recently, for instance, um, I have been informed by the um, peace city of Osnabrück uh, in Germany, uh, that they have uh, decided that 17th of May, I'm receiving uh, the Rosa Courage Award, which means Pink Courage Award um, for my activism and for my engagement for LGBTI human rights globally uh, for more than 10 years now. So kind of seeing it, you know, how it started and, and I, I hope it doesn't end. Wow, what an incredible, powerful story. And to see that how you turn around a negative experience, some people might not have, have the power to turn this event around, make it into something bigger and much, much stronger and to walk away with a positive experience. I think that is so empowering and congratulations on being nominated for the award. I think what 
like for young peace builders especially, it is so important that their role and their activism becomes recognized. Absolutely, absolutely. And it, it means a lot to me as well. I mean, I'm sure that being um, such a young um, award recipient with such prestige, I think you being like one of the very young ones, you are pr- like you are actually prone to judgments or people doubting, oh, he's so young, what did he do, right? Um, and I think that could actually serve encouraging many more people to encourage and acknowledge young people who are around me and doing even incredible work than I do. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So as you know, the theme of this season is gender and peace building, but today we would want to talk more about specifically intersectionality and peace building. With that context in mind, I want to ask, why do you think we need an intersectional approach in peace building? Um, there is something uh, I think um, is very important to talk about, which is peace cannot exist where there is violence. And um, violence, discrimination, unjust, um, I think we all, like all peace builders, we've, we actually defend peace, defend rights, and, uh, and we want a just society. So actually the day before yesterday, someone asked me if I could say, if I could describe my mother and I say, she's just. Very simple answer and she's just. And I think that's what I, that's what I work for to build a surrounding of around me. You know? Like I think the, but the best thing is actually to start where you are, like within your family, your friend circle, your office where you work at, uh, your, your city, your country, and then you go beyond globally, right? So over there, when you start working for you no know, peace building, let's say also this, this word, I, I don't know like how somehow Peace is such a heavy word. It has, it's, it's, it's like, you know, it's like a gold bar. I don't know why I'm using this metaphor, but it's just so heavy and it's so precious. And often people shy away um, actually uh, identifying themselves as peace builders. But if you see all the people who go to demonstrations, who go, it's like, you know, who are writing hashtag Ukraine will resist uh, on their Facebook or Twitter or people who are, you know, who are organizing this podcast, uh, I think we all, are, we all are peace builders. And, and in this peace building, we, we fight for rights of different marginalized groups. Uh, we uh, work towards a future, a just future, where we all can live in peace and harmony, where we all have our rights uh, for us to enjoy for us to uh, celebrate uh, our uniqueness, our diversity, and still be going forward and not, not a competition, but you know, taking each other together forward. And, and over there, I think you cannot achieve rights and, and you cannot achieve a world which is just uh, without taking everyone with you. 
you cannot leave anyone behind towards a world uh, what should be for everyone. And, and that's where I think, you know, something I really like about SDG, SDGs is that it really shows you um, how our struggles are, our struggles for a better world is so diverse and they intersect with, it, with each other. Um, and uh, me as a child, I think, you know, I, for the first time I went to, uh, by the way, um, the day we are sh- uh, recording this podcast, it happens to be International Women's Day. <laughs> um, so I remember the first time I went to my woman march, uh, it was called March in Her Heels. Um, so basically we all wore heels to march in the demonstration in Bangladesh. And my father was a little, you know, he was laughing about it a little bit. Um, but, you know, I loved wearing high heels, of course. So you see over there that, you know, even me feeling more, I would say, feeling more, A, comfortable, B, feeling more involved, um, in German, we say Zugehörigkeit. Like, how would you translate that, Freya? I would say belonging. Exactly. That's the word. I really felt that I belong there. And, and, uh, and then I, I think because I knew me being effeminate, me coming across as a girl, uh, the way I walked, the way I talked, um, my color choices, um, the way I looked at people, uh, the way the way I've moved my hands and my fingers. Now people ask me if I if I dance, but that time I was being bullied and harassed, and and you know I was not a man enough and all of that, and uh, that made me have that made me that enabled me to have a glimpse of what woman in our society might go through. Like I was able to, you know, even like I would say when I go out wearing a dress today, I'm a gender fluid person and I just express, I wear clothes. Um, I, um, I don't really differentiate gender in that sense and also respond to all pronouns. So sometimes I come across as woman to people and of course, Sometimes I just have to kind of disappoint some people having interest uh, to engage with me or like to flirt and all of that. But also sometimes I just feel sexism, uh, even though not being, you know, not biologically or, you know, be claiming myself to be a woman, but still facing um, sexism in which once I remember I was told by a woman that, Anbit, you shouldn't speak when two men are speaking. You are his wife. I'm like, no, we're not married, first of all. And B, who told you that I shouldn't speak because I'm a woman? And I was just wearing a dress. So that was such a moment that I realized, like, just because wearing a dress, I could, you know, I could face this or I, I was confronted with this. I would say... For me, it was really important to involve in feminism, our feminist movement in Bangladesh, 
because I also saw that the feminist movement was very welcoming uh, and, and supportive to our engagement for LGBTI rights. And in the same way, I realized that many of our community members were underprivileged, uh, didn't have access to things that I personally took for granted. Um, and uh, that kind of made me also more aware. And, you know, believe you me, the more I was aware, the, the less I could stop myself. You know, I, I was really engaging more and more. And, and I've, I, I saw there were potential collaboration ideas. There were things that we fought for uh, or we defended, um, but with different approaches. And uh, I believe it's really important that now when we talk about peace, you will find peace builders who work for climate justice. You will find peace builders uh, who work for climate justice, but uh, have um, disability, um, sometimes visible, sometimes invisible. And to accommodate these members, your fellow activists or peace builders, to be able to make it accessible for them, to be able to understand each other, uh, to be able to go forward, I think it is important to understand the intersectionality that we live in, in a way. Um, and, you know, one of the, I think one of the highlights of this year for me was to be able to talk in front of many of the young peace builders uh, in the high-level UN conference for um, youth in peace processes. And over there, I mean, I saw young people from different backgrounds, different intersection, taking incredible, clever um, solutions uh, and, and um, you know, and, and working forward. Um, and I think the better for, I think the more aware we are about our differences, the better it is that, uh, that we can work forward to. I'm not sure if you understand me. Like, I think, I think, you know, sometimes people talk about, oh, we need to focus on our similarities. No, talk about your differences. Thank you so much. Exactly. And I think you raised a very important point, which is we need to make peace building more accessible. And this is exactly what we want to do here. We want to demystify peace building and make those people visible that are doing peace building every day, but might not be called peace builders and all their identities. There is no one identity. And our role is it to actually raise awareness to this issue and to come together and celebrate each other's identities. And you already talked a bit about Bangladesh and I would want to continue from there and um, ask you about the situation in Bangladesh right now, you used to work at an LGBTQI magazine in Bangladesh, Ruban, but you had to leave because of protection issues. And I would want to know how is the situation in Bangladesh now? And to follow up a bit also, I also 
lived in Germany for most of my life. And from an outside perspective, if you are not involved too much in the LGBTQI plus movement and the um, activism, it looks like Germany has made quite some progress in recent years, but I would want to know what are your experiences and if you face any protection challenges due to your identity also in Germany. We are talking about two different cultures, customs, legal systems, um, well, somewhat similar political processes, I would say. Um, uh, in some respect, uh, they are um, fair. In some respect, there are some corruptions involved. Um, you are talking about two different, um, I think, also constitutionally, I would say, Bangladeshi constitution um, is not very similar to German one, where you have protection uh, for certain group of people under the constitution, right? So, I mean, Bangladesh also um, acknowledges all people should be protected. Uh, but just tell you one thing, recently our Bangladeshi law minister uh, said that, of course, it is important to protect LGBTI people under the constitution. But since we have Penal Code 377, which was actually introduced by um, Her Majesty Queen Victoria's um, uh, ruling in, in Bangladesh that time. And it was actually adopted uh, from the British colonial um, time that we still have in Bangladesh. It criminalizes LGBTI people, like in 70 countries in the world. Um, so if I talk about Bangladesh, I think it will be very hostile compared to where I'm right now. Um, I have had yesterday the opportunity to meet some of the really courageous, incredible, powerful young peace builders. Yesterday I talked to them about like, you know, peace building. And I kind of told them like, you all are peace builders. And they were like shying away. Um, and then I talked about, you know, I asked them about how is the situation over there. Um, just think about this, you know, I, we just talked about making, making our space accessible, uh, be mindful of who is not in the room. Sometimes there will be people along the way when you are building peace in your community or globally, you'll find people who want peace, who want change, but it is, a, it is an existential question for them. It is really a question of security uh, when you ask them for their attendance or for their participation. Um, and we have to be mindful how we can incorporate their participation, their voices into the room we are in. And uh, that's how I think it's, it's important to bring solidarity uh, for the people who cannot speak for their rights themselves. And I just felt so humbled actually yesterday on the, um, on, on the, on the, on the online meeting space. Um, we were not allowed to, I, I mean, it was encouraged that we, we don't publicize the event 
online event because of the security concern. So today, if I see Bangladesh, I would say it is tolerable and somewhat celebrated if you are strong, empowered transgender women, or I hope as well as trans men. But the idea of two men or two women having sexual intercourse, which is which is so private, which is so intimate to those persons who are involved, of course, with consent. This is, of course, in Bangladesh, it's criminalized, but also the social discourse is very difficult and um, life-threatening. Um, but I must tell you that we can keep on having our hope up because truth will prevail. And it is truth that LGBTI people exist in Bangladesh. They will resist as well. And, um, and one day we will have our rights that we have long deserved for. Um, and uh, I, I really encourage people to support uh, the efforts in Bangladesh, get in touch with organizations. Um, I will not name any organization here for security reasons, but uh, I'm really astonished how they are self-organizing themselves and, uh, you know, supporting as well in time of pandemic uh, with, uh, with their various ways, creative ways to the community. Uh, still being available for each other uh, and uh, providing, you know, providing support to underprivileged community members uh, who are mostly affected by the pandemic. And um, and yeah, I mean, it's just amazing in Bangladesh. Sometimes I think about, you know, where will I go if I leave Germany? I I, I was telling my colleague today, probably back in Bangladesh. Um, don't know. Um, it's, it's 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 just really wonderful uh, hearing from from Bangladesh. In Germany, I would say, you know, coming in coming in Germany f five years ago, I think more than five years ago, it was not an easy um, decision actually. Um, but I think it was an imperative uh, that I leave my country, and um, I think I I am very happy that I relocated to Cologne and I have um, I have had access to various kinds of benefits, support system provided by the city, by the state and by the people. Um, I really felt mostly taken care of and well supported. And I know that it was, I wouldn't say granted to me, but I think it was accessible to me because of having a certain level of communication skill. Because I think to get what I needed the most, I had to communicate it. And, and convincingly um, communicate in a way that I get it. Uh, and, you know, most of the time, I think what I got, I had rightful, you know, I think if a person now, like right now we are talking about 
many refugees coming from Ukraine uh, due to the Ukrainian resistance. Um, and Europe is really offering its open arm and we are, um, we are really under distress and we want to support uh, our people. And over there, I, I, I air quoted our people. Um, I was somewhat disappointed when I didn't see the same kind of support uh, for Afghanistan um, and many other refugees who have to flee from places where they also resist in, in their individual lives. Um, a war aggression against them from everywhere, from surrounding to the point that this person have to leave their country. And somehow when this person arrives into our border, unfortunately, often we don't provide the same support and service. I have been very thankful for the support I have received from German government. And I have also told them, thank you very much for doing your job correctly. You know, because it was their responsibility to care for me. And, um, and also I think I was, somehow I was open to learning new and not judge so much. You know, often you're, I think we like to compare a lot and, um, I was asked by people like, what is the difference between Bangladesh and Germany? I think I could like write an essay about it, but uh, I really looked into interesting things which were different um, that I probably wouldn't have known of uh, if I was in Bangladesh and never came to Germany. And uh, I, I, I feel very comfortable. I give my best if I can better uh, the situation of LGBTI rights in Germany. And I feel over there as well that um, I, I was able to win people's confidence that I could be an active member for the betterment. I could be belonging here and, uh, and learning more about German situation. And then, you know, asking questions like, has it always been like this in Germany? And the answer is no. Um, if, if, if we go read the Wikipedia page of national socialism, one can learn what LGBTI community members in Germany had to face. And, and you know, that this freedom, even if it's fragile, it's not, it shouldn't be taken for granted. And, um, and you know, I, I, it really felt like a paradise when I came to Germany, but I also realized that time that I was again, the different, you know, like people looking at me because I looked different. Like I told you about the classroom in my school because I was a person of color, um, westernized clothing and uh, speaking in a half American and half British accent. And uh, people were curious, but also some people were, you know, isolating me in a way it was more like I slowly realized that how the practice of racism feels you know like in Bangladesh I think of course racism is present 
in every culture in some way. Um, and uh, I, I too come from a family, unfortunately, where anti-Semitic values are very strong and I still fight against it. Um, and, you know, coming here in Germany, having it faced by myself, I just realized that it takes so much strength for someone to be racist towards you. And this energy is just wasted into nothing because the person in front of me insulting me and belittling me doesn't change me, that doesn't change the person I am. Maybe I just get more, I don't know, aware of, of the surrounding and prepare myself to deal with it. But I just felt that there was this another intersection that I need to talk about LGBTI rights for the Black and people of color. Um, and we organized demonstrations and, um, and parades in Cologne as well for that to raise awareness, to talk about, you know, uh, I over there talked about that it's important that we can talk to each other without having to look down, but look into the eye. We want people to step down from the stage so some people can come up. We want, you know, LGBTI, Black and people of, people of color specific funding and projects. You know, we need empowerment. We need these people as well in decision-making. So the more I think I was aware from my own journey of building peace for myself, the more I think I deep dived into social justice. And I really love bringing people together to kind of point out that, look, we are aiming at the same thing from different places and with different ideas and ways. Thank you so much for, for combining your experiences in Bangladesh with what you have experienced in Germany. And I think a very important point that you raised is how we can combine building peace for ourselves with building peace for a wider community by raising awareness, by bringing our voices together. And at this point, I would want to dive in a little bit more into the youth peace and security field um, because a lot of the times we see that this field is viewed through a gender binary lens. The assumption about young people are based on stereotypes. Young people are either understood as young men who are perpetrators of violence or young women who are the victims of this violence. How do you think we can change the narrative? How do we go beyond traditional binary gender identities? Very, very important question, I think. Um, uh, and I think it was also a very important question, um, like this this binary um, idea of life. Um, this, this needs to end, like always characterizing the idea of men and women with different emotions and different deeds. Like, you know, Let's play a quiz. You don't have to respond. Just like think in your mind, shy, man or woman. Amuser, man or a, or a woman. Sexy, polite, crazy, angry, wild, clever, intelligent, leader. Violent, victim. 
when when I said victim, did you think of a woman? That's for, that's the problem. I think that is what we are taught, right? When when this narrative is being carried around for so long, and what we see a lot, especially like I said in this field, is when people say violence, it's oh the young man. When they say victim, oh the young woman, and we don't recognize the agency of the young woman fighting for peace, mobilizing her community, building peace, but it's depicted as being a victim without agency. And I think in that moment, we take away her power of speaking up for, for herself. And we change the perspective and we start speaking on behalf of, mm-hmm. instead of listening. And basically, what I also want to hear is, how can we open these spaces for the voices that are excluded the most due to their different identities, but also because their agency have been taken away from them for so long. It is important that we start directly at the root. You know, I think we should provide a guideline for the parents involved before the, before the childbirth, that they read about the person uh, that they're giving birth to. Uh, it could be more than one. Um, and what are the things that they need to take care of? Because as a parent, I think it's, it's a big responsibility of the parent that they do gender neutral parenting, parenting and, you know, and the, the ideas and concepts of gender that they don't pass on to their children the way they have learned it. Uh, sometimes it can be very toxic. Um, I think it's also important that uh, we, you know, we teach our children to be children and not boy or girl. Um, it really doesn't matter what genital um, my competitor has. Um, if I am competing with someone, um, for instance, in a in a game. Um, and um, like, also, have you heard about the story of Asta Semenya, the athlete from South Africa, that she ran so fast in Olympics that she broke all the records and the uh, Olympic committee was shocked and surprised and said, she's a woman, how can she run so fast? And then she like faster than men as well. So uh, they first accused her of drug consumption or abuse. And then they found out that her hormone, um, actually she had more testosterone. And uh, that's why they said she was not woman anymore. So, you know, so that's why I'm like kind of talking about competing and genitals and all of that. So I think gender is everywhere. And I think I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a non-binary person. I, re- I have, you know, respect and regard to also gender because some people identify as such. And I think the experiences that women face, uh, I think we cannot just erase that. Um, and we have to have these dialogue. But I think when we don't have gender anymore or the idea of gender anymore, um, then I think we can be free and equal uh, and, and be considered as humans. That's all. Um, and I think, you know, school, colleges, um, religious leaders, religious institutions, um, you know, social media platforms, 
um, video game platforms and, you know, all the things that a child has access to when a child is growing up, those places need to be gender neutral. Those places should not define gender the way it is defined today. Um, and there are things like that in our language that we use, which kind of categorize gender, like categorize people based on their gender and already put judgment, you know? Um, I think it is, it is imperative that we, to change the narrative of men being aggressor, men being the, um, the perpetrator, and women being the victim. I think it is important, it is imperative that we give men the opportunity to also talk about their experiences, their stories of surviving, the aggression they have faced from other men or women or other humans, systems, cultures. And so does women also talk about their guilt of sometimes also committing violence and you know I think and this is also another thing that I have an issue with that whenever there is a crime we always go and see what was the skin color of those people like the large number of criminals are black and you know or like oh the large number of home like uh, domestic violence happen uh, from the husband well there's also psychological pressure sometimes men have to face um, from their female partner and it is not talked about. And violence or, or uh, discrimination have no gender. And this is all, I think, it's like a easy response to who did it, the men. Yes, I think you summed up these important issues very nicely, and it's a good way to end this episode. Anvid, it has been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for making the time and for being on this episode. Thank you, and also for your inputs as well. And thank you for all our listeners for tuning in to this episode of the Peace Corner podcast. Thank you for joining us today and for contributing to a better world. Thank you for listening to the Peace Corner podcast and supporting our initiative. Feel free to share this episode with people around you who you think might benefit from it. And don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or wherever you might be listening from. <laughs>